morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alpazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. We'd really love to hear from you. That's absolutely fact. And just in case you don't care to call in or something may occur to you after we're off the air. Or maybe even during the week next week. That's right. At midnight. There you go. <laughs> you can always send Lewis an email and have your questions answered that way. You can go to our website. is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Just click that little button, fill out the form, and send it on in. That's right. And really, you only have to fill it out one time because it'll ask you when you send it, would you like to remember this information? If you say yes, then it'll put a little cookie on the machine, and next time you go to the form, it'll already be filled out for you. That's great. Your name, your address, your email address. Right. Uh, all you, you uh, type in twice. but it, Well, all you'll have to change is the vehicle if you have a different vehicle well, or it, the it complaint. Even, yeah, it even remembers the vehicles, and you can have multiple vehicles in there. So if you've got three or four, it'll remember all of them. That's great. Pop some wrong up. you got a little <laughs> pull-down menu, so... I tell you, somebody's done some real nice programming. I'm telling you, somebody has spent some time there. <laughs> I guarantee you. But that little site's got all sorts of things. The reason we mention the site so much is that almost everything we talk about just about every week, you could actually find on the. Sure. There's the vehicle question section, which mm-hmm. is a kind of straight to the point answer to a particular question. That's right. Just quick, fast, and easy. There you go. And then there's the vehicle topics. Oh, yeah. Detail topics. Detail topics. Uh-huh which is a much more in-depth article on a certain topic. Well, that's right. It is exactly what it says, a detailed topic. And I put one on this morning on fuel pressure gauges because when you start trying to do a little bit of work yourself and uh-huh. some diagnostics, a lot of the folks who listen to the show, one thing that comes across pretty clear is that diagnosis is way cheaper than changing parts. Oh, most definitely. And not only that, but it's much more certain of getting the problem fixed and not creating a secondary problem. But when you start doing diagnosis, there are some things you're going to have to have. And one of the very first things you might want to add is a fuel pressure gauge. That's an excellent diagnostic tool because you can tap into the fuel line, check the fuel pressure. If it's at specification, Mm -hmm. then you can forget about the fuel system. That's right. It's ready. That's working. And there's just so many other things that you can actually gain from a fuel pressure gauge. A lot of people do a base fuel pressure test where they'll go in read the pressure to idle and that's as far as they ever go uh-huh. and that's okay because that's a tremendous amount of information a big help right there but there are several other tests you can run as well with just a few little adapters and a little bit of knowledge but for instance you can actually test for fuel volatility by getting the regular test then turning the key off and watching what the fuel pressure does with the key off correct if it drops slightly and then holds then that's great that's what it's supposed to do. If it continues to drop, then you know you've got a leak somewhere in the system, be it in the fuel pump or in one of the injectors or the fuel pressure regulator, and we go into that more next week. Uh-huh. But if it starts to rise, you know you've got excessive volatility in the fuel. And Correct. that can occur when people add additives to their fuel. A lot of folks mistakenly think that they need to add fuel injection cleaner to their cars, and they well, do that on a regular basis. Right, and, and that's being pushed by the market. I mean, it is. it's a shame because every time the commercial comes on, it Fuel injector cleaner. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's something you can sell and make some money on. I guess that's all they need. I guess. But what happens is that if the volatility of the fuel rises, it will start to ball in the fuel rail, which can make the car hard to start. Sure. And you can detect that by putting the fuel pressure gauge on, doing the standard fuel pressure test. But when you get through, you just turn the key off. If the pressure starts to rise, then that indicates that the fuel is balling in the rail, and that's why the pre- extra pressure is coming from. Uh-huh. So that's just one more test you can do. Of course, you can also do what we call a deadhead test, and that takes a few extra accessories. That's why you 
isolate the pump straight to the gauge, crank it up just for a little while because you can't run it very long, you'll end up burning the pump up. But that measures what the pump is capable of doing. Correct. So that will be a higher pressure than your running pressure at idle. And if that's pretty close to the running pressure at idle, then you know your pump's getting pretty weak. So that's just a few of the tests. Right. Next week we're going to go into a whole bunch more, but there's a lot, lot, lot of information you can get with a fuel pressure gauge beyond just a standard fuel pressure test. Sure. So just a good article, and if you're interested in diagnosis, this is definitely a place to start. And of course, there's other articles there. We have one there on a dial indicator and how to use that to detect run out in different parts, be right. it a tire or a wheel flange or, or a rotor, backing plate or a rotor. Right. How to use that, how to buy one, how to select one, how to buy jack stands that are correct for you. So there's just tons of information on stuff like that, as well as a number of how-to articles. That's great. And then all that information is free. There's no charge for accessing any of that information. That's right. There's nothing on the site for sale. It's all free information. And there are some areas that you do have to register, but the only thing registration does is kind of proves that you are a real live human being and that you do want this information. Not a spam bot. That's right, because some of the things require downloads. Now, when you download something from a server, it gives you access to certain things on that server that a spam bot could use to attack it. Correct. So you have to verify before you allow people to start downloading and uploading things that they are actually a human being. So what registration does, you simply go in and you put your email address, you make up a password and a username, and it will send a email to you and you acknowledge, yes, I did do this. And Correct. you hit the little link and it you're in. That's it. That's all there is to that's it. That's great. No charge or anything, but it just verifies you are a real live breathing human being. And that will give you access to a lot of other things on the site. For instance, you can get to the oil drain plug torque charts. That is a wonderful chart. Yeah, there's several of those in one for just about every kind of vehicle. All your American and Asian type vehicles are in there all the way up to 2014. So if you want to know how much you're supposed to torque the drain plug to, you can go and let's say you got a Toyota Camry. Go to Toyota, go to Camry, bam, there it is, exactly what the torque spec is. That's great. And that varies from model to model, engine to engine, and even year to year. Correct. So it's one of those things you really need to look up. So, for your particular application. That's right. But that information is all listed. Also, a chart in there tells you which engines are interference fit, which engines are non-interference engines. Okay. And lots and lots and lots of other things that registered guests get to do that if you don't register, you just don't see them. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is an archive of automotive hours on the site that you can go back and download up to one year of previous automotive oh, hours. A whole year. Yeah. whole year, 12 months on there. And that's all available, like I said, to anyone who is registered on the site. Uh-huh. So that's the name of that team, <laughs> <laughs> www.agcoauto.com. We think you really like it, and we should go to it and look around. Sure, a lot of great information. There you go. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to talk to us live and in person, got every one of our lines wide open, we'll be glad to try to put you right straight to the top of the list. That's it, and you're out of town, give us a call. Yeah, you just have a 225 in front of there, and we'd love hearing from you. Well, of course, there's a little more figuring if you're in a different time zone. Yeah, that's right. Well, you just got to <laughs> kind of figure out when we're on air and that's it. call that time. I get a lots of email from folks all over the country and really all over the world. I had a lady who emailed this morning, and she said she bought a car. It was a certified used car. I think it was a 2011 model. Okay. And she noticed that her tires were dry rotting. And starting to crack on the yeah, sidewalls. Yeah, starting to crack on the sidewalls. Uh-huh. Refer to the link on the site that shows you how to check the date of the tire. I said, well, check the date. Make sure they're not more than six years old because if they are more than six years old, even though it's a 2011 model car. Right. You're buying it as a used car, and I know it says certified, but basically all certified means is they probably tacked an extended warranty on the price. <laughs> it doesn't really mean they've checked anything. It's still a used car. Yeah, 
if it is not six years old, then that is a warrantable defect in most tires. Okay. You can take that back to the tire manufacturer. And if the sidewalls are cracking, generally they will warranty the tire predicated on how much rubber is remaining on the tire. Kind of a prorate deal. Yeah, most new tires are around 10, 30 seconds when they're new. So let's say you got five, 30 seconds remaining, you should get about half the price of a new tire back. Uh-huh. You'll have to pay for the rubber you've used off of it. But, sure, uh, that's understandable. Yeah, that's something you could do. But that's just one of the questions or types of questions that we get pretty regularly on the email. On the email, so right. Let's go to our phone lines. we got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, gentlemen. Yes, Good morning. Sir. I've got a 2004 Toyota Tundra that's just getting broken in with 195,000 miles. All right. And earlier this week, something happened with the ventilation I'd never seen before. Okay. It worked normally. Everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, it, the blower was still turning. I could hear it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't blowing at the same pressure, at the same flow rate. Okay. It was much lower. I tried yeah, cycling between the research and, mm-hmm. and normal. It didn't change it. And then I got up the next morning, and it was fine, and it's been fine since. Yeah, most likely, Mark, what happened, there is a door inside the evaporator case called a mode door. And what it does, it moves back and forth to duck air down either to the floor or out the vents or up to the windshield, depending on what mode you select. If that door gets confused or if it gets jammed, it may duck the air partially at the windshield and partially at the floor or partially out the vent, or it can even block the airflow completely under certain circumstances. So you're going to hear the motor running, but it's not going to come out the vents. And I did cycle the mode switch to Mm -hmm. try, and even if I put it on wherever I put it, Mm -hmm. it would move. It would, like, if I put it on defrost, Mm -hmm. it would stop blowing out the air vents, but it was still restricted it felt restricted mm-hmm. coming out of the windshield yeah i would check and see if there are any codes because what toyota does and most manufacturers do they will actually store a code for that when it occurs now it's not a code you can get to with a part store type code reading. right it's not even going to turn the light on right we'll not turn the light on because it's not an emissions code it's what they call a manufacturer's code so if you got a toyota scan tool and most better shops are going to have that you can go in and read the body module, and it will tell you what uh, part actually malfunctioned. Now, I'll tell you one thing that can cause that, Mark. I'm not saying this is it, but this will cause that. If your battery is getting weak, and I know you say, well, it cranks fine, but see, 8 volts will crank that car over just fine, but it takes 12 and a half volts to run those computers. If your battery is getting slightly weak and you are cranking the engine just at the time that this thing is learning its home position, it can really goof that computer up, and it doesn't know where home is at. And so when the computer tells it to move a position for one reason or another, it may get confused and it may start blocking. When you cycle the ignition on and off, it may rehome again, and it doesn't occur that time, so it will work. But I have seen not so much on Toyota. We see that on Fords quite a bit where the battery is just a little weak. So check the age of the battery. You may get it load tested and just see. If that's not it, more likely it's going to be one of the actuators is just getting a little old, getting a little tired. Thanks, guys. Appreciate right. the help. Okay, Mark. All right, thanks for calling, man. Bye bye. 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. And we've got Al line. Good morning, Al. Good morning. How are y'all this morning? Doing great. Good sir. morning. Great. I've got a an old Jeep. Okay. That I know hasn't run in over twenty years. Wow. wow. Okay. And it's an old flathead four cylinder deal. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And I know it has sixty thousandths over pistons in it. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And I have Mike the cylinders and they mic anywhere from 63 to 65 thousand yes sir if i just put a set of rings in there would that 
Could you hazard a guess whether that'll give me enough compression to run? Probably will give you enough compression to run, Al. It's, it may burn some oil and it may not run long term. Eventually, that's an awful lot. You should have about two to two and a half thousandths play on the size of your pistons. Uh-huh. That's maximum on them. And really, one and a half would probably be even better. But when you start getting that much, it's not only the wear in the cylinder. But it's also the, the fact that the wear tapers. In other words, what happens, wear occurs at the very top of the cylinder because that's where the fire's at. Mm-hmm. As the piston moves down the cylinder, the mixture cools off so it doesn't wear near as much. So you got like a tapered wear. Mm-hmm. So the rings are being pushed in and out as they're moving up and down. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, yes, if you just pulled it down and put rings in, it probably would be enough to get it running. 60,000 is the maximum that you can go over on that engine. So what would be needed if you wanted to save the motor is they would go in, they would bore those four cylinders out oversized and put sleeves in them, and then they'd yeah. bring it back down to a standard bore. Yeah, well, money is definitely an option. <laughs> this is just a, a time-consuming type of deal. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Just, off, just run off, off-road. That's yes, all sir. What, uh, what year model is it, Al? It's a 46 CJ2. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. Yeah, if it was a 45, I'd have to take that off your hands from you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been looking for an old war jeep for quite a while, man. Oh, yeah. I missed it a year. Yeah. The only deal, I think you, you got seven bars in your grill, seven slats in your grill, and then the 45 has nine slats in the grill. Uh-huh. I think that's the way you tell them apart. But yeah, that right? okay. yeah, yeah, you could probably pull it out, take a, like a glaze breaker. You don't want to use a hone because it's not going to getting that tapered cylinder, but something like a glaze breaker, run through the cylinder, put a set of rings in it. It'll definitely give enough compression to, to start and run if you don't okay. use it but intermittently. Okay, that's all I need to know. I do appreciate it. All right, Al. All right. Thanks, mm-hmm. man. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I, we'd love to have you. And we've got Carol's been patiently holding. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, Good ma'am. morning. Good. The granddaughter has a 2005 Chevy Malibu with okay. about 75,000 miles. Mm-hmm. When she brakes, the car makes like a deep rattling noise. The rotors and pads were changed on the rear. We checked the pads on the front, and they are good. It only does it when you brake, Carol? Only when she brakes, yeah. Yeah, well, it's going to be something in the brakes if it only does it then. Now, when they say they check the rotors, what most people do, they look at them and say, yeah, they look okay. And that's just not going to get it. What you're going to have to do, the way you check a rotor, number one, you can put a dial indicator on it, which will measure lateral runout. And that has to be less than two thousandths of an inch. But way more important, you have to take a micrometer and check the parallelism of the two faces. And that has to be less than one ten thousandth of an inch. And if it's more than that, what it's going to do is it's going to push the pistons in and out, and it's just going to shake like a devil. And the rattle is most likely coming from the hardware loose on the calipers and stuff because it tears all that up pretty bad whenever it starts shaking. But if it only does it when you brake, it's going to be in the brakes. Okay. Just going to need to get somebody to take a little closer look at it. It's not something you can normally just look and gain. You're going to need either know really what you're doing or have a little bit of extra test equipment to check it. But it, it, can, be you, found, it can be found pretty easy. You don't think it's got anything to do with the drive shaft? or? Absolutely not. No. Nope. Okay. See, dry shaft doesn't get good when you quit braking. Okay. Well, when we jacked up the mm-hmm. car to check the pad mm-hmm. and we ran it, it was like making a rat. It will. Okay. Don't ever do that because you'll tear the axles up. See, when you got jacked up, those axles are an extreme angle, which will rip the axle to pieces. They're going to make noise when they're hanging loose like that. they got to be oh. checked at the straight at right height. Nothing in the axle is going to make noise when you brake. See, the axle, if it's bad, it's going to make noise all the time. And GM axles have almost zero problems. I mean, yeah, I couldn't no, tell you, just, I probably hadn't changed two GM axles in the last 10 years. Yeah, no, it's just when she breaks. Yeah. It makes That's going to be something in the brakes. Yes, ma'am. 
Okay. Now, the noise may be coming from somewhere else, but the brake is initiating the noise, which is most likely going to be either a warp rotor or a rotor that's out of parallel. Okay. All righty. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. 291 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back. Greg and Bruce, hang on. You'll be straight about this break. Travel my way. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true, like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true, the low-price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Hey, welcome back. If you just joined us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Number is 291-6901. And we're going back to our phone lines with Greg. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Yes, Good sir. Good morning. I have a 2009 Chevy, okay. and I guess about three or four weeks ago, it got a trouble light on it, and I just lost power. Okay. You know, yeah, it right. can go more than about 40 or 50 miles yeah, an hour. Yeah, very, very common on that truck. Right. So well, this had happened before, and it was the throttle body. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. And did change that. Mm-hmm. And then it just happened about, that was two years ago. Mm-hmm. And then it happened just recently. Took it back to the shop, and they said that it was accelerator sensor this time. Could well, be. They didn't have the part. Mm-hmm. And now the sensor comes on, the, the trouble light comes on, but I don't lose power. Is that something that I need to take care of? Yes. We're yes, charging sir. about $600 for it. And yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, just make sure they're diagnosing it correctly because it could be the sensor. It could be the connection at the sensor. It could be the module. He it could said be... it was the connection at the sensor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. it could be. That's pretty common. Now, just because the check engine light came on again, don't assume it's the same problem. Yeah, man, it'd be the it same could problem. Be, it could be a different problem. Yeah, you got 2,000 things to make the light come on, so you'd have to read it again, see why it came on again. Repaired the connector or no? No, they didn't have the part and okay. ordered it, and I just hadn't had time in, and I'm just gambling that it's not going to lose power again. Well, no, it's going to. Right, it's going to happen no again. No question about it, soon, if, if that's the problem. Now, if they misdiagnosed it, well, no, and there are other things that will also throw it in fail-safe mode. Anything that it does not agree, if it sees no correlation between the pedal and the throttle body, then it's going to throw that code and it's going to lock the throttle out to 20%. Yeah, go reduce power. Yeah, but it could be there's four sensors. There's two on the throttle body, two in the pedal. There's connections all in between, and there is also a module that runs it all. So it could be any one of those components, but if it's a correlation error, it's going to shut it down. If it's just a circuit code, it may not shut the throttle down, but it's going to flag a check engine light. So it could be different degrees of it occurring. But, I mean, if you trust who's working on it and you think that's what it is, I'd have them go ahead and repair the connection and go from there and see if it occurs again or have them check the codes and make sure another code hadn't occurred. Do y'all do that? Yes, sir. What is that normally? There is no normal cost. cost. Depends on what's no. wrong with it, man. All right. Thank you very uh-huh. much. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we'd love to have you. And we got Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. 
Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. I have a 2007 Hyundai Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. Every morning when I wake up, start the car, and put it in reverse, it skips. Like, it's the transmission is skipping. I brought it to a transmission place, and they checked it, and they said there's nothing wrong with the transmission. And it's only in the morning when it's cold. Yeah, you need to define that a little better, Bruce. What does skips mean? Okay, it kind of like jumps into, I put it in reverse, mm -hmm. and put my foot on the... Uh, Brake. Uh, yeah, and then it kind of pops into gear. So it's kind of a hard shift into gear. Kind of a hard yeah. shift into gear in reverse. Yeah, a hard shift into in. Yeah, you know, I tell you, the okay. first thing I would suspect with that, Bruce, would be a broken motor or transmission mount. That would be far more common than a transmission problem, and it will feel kind of like a transmission problem because you're going to feel the rough shift. But right. the reason you're going to feel it when it's cold, you see, when the engine is cold, the idle is going to be accelerated. In other words, when the engine's warmed up, it may be idling around 650 RPM or so. When it's cold, it may be up around 800 or, so, or more. So with a faster-running engine, when you put it in gear, it's going to want to drop in. It's going to jerk a lot more. But that would be the first thing I would check is all the mounts on it. And there's a torque strap on top. I'd check that. If any of those are broken or weak, you're going to definitely get that bang first thing in the morning. Okay. So it's the, so, so wouldn't the transmission place with a looked at that i don't know okay. maybe okay <laughs> yeah. yeah if you went in and you said it's skipping in the morning i mean they may right. not know what you mean see so right. you can't go in and tell them something like that because that really doesn't mean anything what you have to do is like you just did with me say hey first thing in the morning only when i put it in gear i feel something like it slips and then grabs or something to that effect and better yet bring it in the night before leave it with them so they got it first thing in the morning see what it's doing Exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. right. But I've been doing it for a couple of years. It's like, I just let it go. I just kind of... Yeah, I wouldn't let it go because you can end up tearing something up with that. All right. Well, listen, I, that's great. That's good to know. I appreciate okay, it. Okay, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks, thank Bruce. Bye-bye. All right. I'll right, take one last quick little break. Dean, you hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Good morning, and welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. <laughs> Agco Automotive has this to say about low price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Welcome back to this joint. the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions that you might have. Why don't you go ahead and call us, 291-6901, and that'll get you right straight to us. And we've got Dean's been patiently holding. Good morning, Dean. Good morning, man. Appreciate your program. Thanks, Thank sir. Thank you. 2002... Concord, Chrysler, Concord. Okay. Engine light came on. So I've taken it to three or four different yes, sir. shops, mm -hmm. including the dealer. Yeah. They all are pretty much the same diagnosis. One or two will say you got a bad torque converter. Okay. Then a couple of them say the transmission needs to be replaced. Yeah. And my problem is the darn thing drives great. Okay. Once in a while as you're coming to, a say, stop a red light, mm -hmm. 
uh, just before you get to a dead stop, it'll kind of vibrate just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But other than that, Mr. Lewis, it, it runs great. The dealer says, well, well, it just depends well, on what code is setting, Dean. Most likely it's going to be setting a solenoid-type code, and that is the kind of thing you're going to need to take to someone who is a transmission specialist because the dealer isn't going to diagnose that, and a regular shop is not going to diagnose that. I can tell you most of the time on a Chrysler, if it is a solenoid code, what's happening is that the transmission is starting to generate metal, and the metal is sticking the electromagnet in the solenoid, and that's what's throwing the code. And initially, it can be very few symptoms. In the long run, the transmission is going to fail. That's almost every time. I've never seen a torque converter just go out. And if it does, it's going to sling so much metal in the transmission, it's going to be a moot point anyway. But most likely, it is in the initial stages of failing. To diagnose that, Dean, you can't just put a scan tool on it because all that will do is give you a code, which is just not enough information. You have to put what we call a pressure gauge, and there's two of them, and they hook to the two ports. Then you drive the car and watch the pressures. And what most likely is happening is that it's commanding the torque converter into lockup. And the way it acknowledges that or knows that that's occurred, there's a sensor on the output engine, there's a another one on the transmission, and it looks at those two sensors and compares the speed. Now, if the speed is exactly the same, it knows everything's locked up and it's working fine, so no harm, no foul. If one sensor turns faster than the other, then it's going to throw a sensor code or it's going to throw a solenoid code, just depending on how it's programmed. Now, a number of things can cause that. One is the clutch inside the converter is not locking up, so it's slipping. Another is... I've been told that. Yeah, well, that's what they think. But another is it could be one of the two sensors could be bad. Another is you could have an engine misfire, which is causing the engine to move up and down. So what I'm saying is that's a difficult diagnosis. Okay. So what I would do is get that to someone who knows what they're doing, someone who specializes in diagnosis, and have them take a look. Now, as far as the transmission, that's pretty simple because what you could do is just drop the pan, take the filter off, cut the filter open, and look inside – and if it's got a half a snap ring and a bunch of metal, well, you know, you got your answer right there. <laughs> yeah. If the filter's yeah. nice and clean, then you got to figure, well, the transmission's probably okay because if the torque converter's coming apart or anything's coming apart, it's going to be in the filter. Right. And, and it probably needs a service anyway if it hadn't been done recently. So yes, that is a very minimal charge to do. It's going to give you a tremendous amount of information that you can use to make a decision. Because you may say, well, I'm just going to nurse it along, see how far it goes. And then again, you may say, well, I'm getting pretty close here. I don't want to be left on the side of the road. So right, right now you got I'm going to act. Right now you got a choice. Right. But it could be as simple as one of the two sensors. They do go out a lot. We do change those sensors a lot, giving a false signal. That's one thing. I have even seen in a very rare instance where he guy had a separated front tire. And what was happening is that that tire was bouncing. The tire was losing traction with the road, and it was slipping. So the engine and the transmission weren't turning at the same speed. So there's all kinds of things that can cause that. I mean, even something like a bad connection at the battery can confuse the computer and throw codes like that. Yes, sir. So it just needs to get to someone with a diagnostic culture. And I can tell you, that's not going to be a general repair shop, and that's not going to be a a dealership. That's going to be somebody who specializes in diagnosis who has guys in there who can diagnose those kind of problems. Well, help me out. Who, well, I'll tell you what. Go to my website and look around and see what you think, and then see if you can decide. <laughs>
Well, maybe I should do that. There you I, go. I would really like to get something other than, well, go ahead and drive it, which I've been doing. Yeah, yeah. Right. No, if it's... They tell me that the only difference you're going to see is your gas mileage is going to drop. Well, see, that's not so true, it has, though. It, it has not changed. Yeah, that's right. not true. See, that tells me it may be something like a sensor. Now, if the transmission is going out, you know, if the torque converter is going out, the torque converter itself is not going to fail, but the lockup clutches can go bad. When that happens, it throws metal all throughout the transmission. So it will take the transmission out. There'll be no question. But again, that's very simple to diagnose with a pressure gauge. You put the pressure gauge on. If full pressure is rising and we're still not seeing the same output on two sensors and the two sensors are both reading, then we know we got a torque converter problem. I mean, that's not well I think it's this. That's definitively yes, it is. And then we drop the pan, we cut the filter open, we look inside, it's all full of metal, well, then we know. Then right. you say, okay, well, I'm not going to fix it right now. Okay, great. Well, just know in back your mind this is going to fail. Maybe tomorrow it might be two years from now, but it's going to fail. But again, we go in and we say, well, this sensor is not reading, or it's reading erratically, or the signal's jumping up and down. And we're not right. getting pressure to the torque converter. Okay, well, that's a solenoid kind of problem. It's not a torque converter problem, because if the solenoid doesn't apply enough pressure to the torque converter, it's not going to lock up. So you can even have something like a brake light switch because when it sees brake light application, it's going to release the torque converter. So the brake oh. light switch is is bad. It's going to throw that code. So there's just a oh. ton of things that can throw that code. You just need somebody who knows how to diagnose problems. Well, I think I got my answer, and I think what go. I'm going to do is... Go on my website and type in the word transmission. There's about 400 articles in there on that topic. <laughs> I am, and, I, and I'm probably going to be talking to you offline. Okay, sounds good, man. Hey, look, we really, really appreciate it. All right, again. All right, sir. Take care. Thanks, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd certainly love to have you. That kind of stuff goes on a lot. And sure. I'm not trying to paint anybody with a broad brush or saying these people don't know what they're doing or these people don't know, because that's not the case. Everybody is good at the things they do. But sometimes shops are more geared to changing parts. Correct. And some shops are geared to selling things. They're a menu board type shop uh -huh. and they don't make any bones about it. that's the kind of shop they are and there's a handful of shops who have a diagnostic culture that's what they do is they diagnose things now if you call a shop with a diagnostic culture and you say how much is it for such you can be totally frustrated oh yeah they're because not gonna he's give not going to give you a price because they don't know what's wrong with it they're not going to play games they're not going to joke around they're just going to say we don't know what's wrong with it you're going to have to bring it in let me check it right that's how you know you're talking to a shop with a diagnostic culture now, if you don't want to diagnose it, if you want to just change parts, then you need to call somebody else. Because sure. Because they're not going to do that. Well, they'll, they'll be more than willing to give you a price over the phone. Absolutely. But if you want the problem solved, then that's the kind of shop you're going to need to go to. And that's a distinct difference. In fact, there's a couple of articles on the website about that. And just to make it simple, we broke it down to two broad categories. And we uh -huh. said there are merchants and there are craftsmen. Okay. And a merchant is basically there to sell you something. And it doesn't matter if it's transmission repair or cotton candy at fair. He's there to sell you something, and he's going to sell you something. Right. He's going to have a big old menu board with all the things he sells, and you're going to pick the one you want, and that's what you're going to get. A craftsman is, is there to fix the car, and he is not going to quote your price without knowing what's wrong. He's not going to go through, well, maybe it's this, maybe how much is this, well, how much is that. He's going to take tell you to bring the car in. It costs this much to check it, this much per hour. He's going to be fair. He's going to be honest. He's going to check the car. He's going to tell you what it is. But the difference is you're going to walk out of it with the car fixed. Correct. You're not going to waste a whole bunch of money on maybe it's this, maybe it's that. We're going to try this. We're going to try that. He is going to test the car, and he is going to tell you what's wrong. 
sort of like going to a doctor. He's not going to say, well, we're just going to cut you open and look in there and see what we find. <laughs> I would not go to a doctor like that. I, I hear want, you. I want him to run an MRI. I want him to do some tests and then tell me, yeah, you got this, this, this. You got a two-centimeter mass on the base of da-da-da-da-da, and we're going to do this, and this is how we're going to do it, and this is what we're going to do to follow it up, and this is why, and you're going to be cured. Exactly. And that's what I want to hear. I want to hear, well, how much is it to fix my back? Because <laughs> <laughs> he gives me a price. I ain't going there. Exactly. <laughs> but that's just the fact that cars have changed so, so drastically in the last few years that the average person, if they had any idea what was going on in the hood, I mean, they just really would be amazed because nothing in there is anything like what you thought it used to be. No, and, and it, it takes a specialist to know what's going on. It you does. Know, somebody that knows what they're doing, somebody that knows how this vehicle program was written. Mm -hmm. Because you could have two of the same vehicle have the same problem, same check engine light, same mm -hmm. code number. But you could have two different problems because of the way the program was written to deal with this problem. Well, that's right. And it's sort of like a fire alarm in your attic. The fire alarm goes off, but there's a number of things can make the fire alarm go off. Sure. It could be the battery's dead. It could be the house is on fire. It could be the little smoke alarm itself has gone out. Exactly. There's a number of things, and that's just one little simple thing, but the same thing with a check engine light. It's checking 2,000 different things. Sure. And among each one of those things, there's a number of things that can cause a problem. So, again, if all you want is a part change, you want to read the code and say, well, it's an oxygen sensor, so I'm going to put oxygen. We'll go to a parts store, read the code, and do what it tell you. That's what's going to happen. And you might get lucky and it might work most time it's not going to work sure. and sometimes you're going to make it worse you're going to create another problem but if you want somebody who can find a problem then you have to find a guy who is in a shop that represents a diagnostic culture they are going to diagnose the car that's what they do right and that kind of shop if you call them they're not going to start quoting price they're not going to start guessing on the telephone they're going to tell you to bring the car in let me check it they will know what's wrong and I guess the definitive way to know you're in the right shop is whenever they do tell you what's wrong, you say, do you guarantee this will fix a problem? And you'll get one word back. Yes. You're in the right shop. Yeah, now you're in the right shop. Well, you know, I don't know. We're going to have to try. Maybe it's this. Well, okay. But, now you're not in the right shop. <laughs> <laughs> now you can just say thank you and turn around and walk That's out. That's right. And as the costs rise, this becomes more and more and more important. Talking about something like a shock absorber where the cost is fairly minimal and mm -hmm. you know, well i need shocks anyway so i got a squeak i'm gonna try putting a set of shocks on okay well that's great you know you needed them anyway try the shocks it's still there well you're not out too bad but when you're talking about something like a transmission where you could be talking anywhere from 2500 to 3500 dollars you just can't afford to get you know because no, you, you got to know what's get, wrong and, and exactly how you're gonna fix this that's right you get in the wrong shop you're gonna get a transmission well yeah and maybe still have the same problem or a worse problem when you do exactly Let's go back to the phone lines with Jim. Good morning, Jim. Hey, hey, guys. I have a problem with my air conditioner on my 2002 Chevy 1500. Okay, sir. It's, I haven't been driving it a whole lot, just every now and then. And I notice when I turn it on, the clutch spins for like 10, 15 seconds and stops. And it starts up about after like 30 seconds again yes, and runs mm -hmm. about 15 seconds. Uh, short cycling. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I'm just wondering what that might possibly Most be. of the time, Jim, and I'm going to say most of the time because there's a few things that can cause that, but most of the time it's low on charge. What's happening, it's got a switch on there called a cycle switch. Mm -hmm. And when the low side pressure drops below about 25 PSI, it's going to start freezing the unit. So the cycle switch is going to cut the unit off. It's designed to do that. When it's operating normally and fully charged, if the pressure goes to 25, it's getting too cold, so it cycles the compressor off. And then it warms back up, pressure rises, then it cuts it back on again, and it keeps the unit from freezing. But when it's low on charge, it doesn't have enough pressure to start with, so it doesn't take it very long to suck down to 25. 
Oh, when it hits okay. 25, it's going to cycle the clutch. Now, need to get that fixed right away, Jim, because what's going to happen, all that cycling is going to tear the clutch up on the compressor, oh, which basically is going to be another compressor. You know? Right, because yeah, the clutch, costs, the clutch yeah. costs just as much as the compressor does yeah. with a clutch. But that's not a big, big deal. The way you have to charge that, Jim, is you have to go in, first identify what's in it, make sure that it's – you has know, no chemicals, chemicals or other in, than what's supposed to be, supposed in, to be it. in there. You draw it all out, you measure the charge, and then you compare it to what's supposed to be in there, so then you know it's low. Then you measure the amount and you put it back in. Now, if it's low, it's going to have a leak somewhere. On that one, the most common place they leak is at the charge ports themselves. Fairly oh, inexpensive. It's right. normally a 5 $6 part, but that's the most common place they leak. Most of the time, you vacuum it out, go ahead and put a little dye in it, charge it back up, see where it's coming out, change charge port, and you're going to be home free. It'll be working good after that. Okay, because my regular mechanic, I think he's put a compressor on my wife's Camaro, and it mm-hmm. works fine now, so he must be able to do that. I'm sure he could. Yeah, just tell him to check it and see if it's low on charge. Now, there are rare instances where the cycle switch will actually go right. bad, and yeah. even though the charge is right. And again, you could put a set of gauges on it, and if it's cycling and the charge is not dropping below 25 PSI, then you know the cycle switch is bad. Okay. If it's dropping below 25, then you know your charge is low or you got a restriction in the system because you have what they call an orifice tube. If it restricts, the low side pressure is going to drop real low. That's a much bigger problem, but that's kind of rare on a Chevrolet. Okay, well, I'll tell them all that. I okay. appreciate it, guys. All right, Jim. All Thanks, right, man. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one last quick little break, and we will be right back with more of the Automotive Hour. Mike. How are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. (laughs) Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strepanoid filter head needs to be replaced. (laughs) Oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Lewis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. i got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901, and we've still got several minutes. We've got time to answer any questions you might have. If you call right now and happen to think of something after they throw us out of here at 11 o'clock That's or right. during the week, you can always go to our website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page, and you can send an email to Lewis any time of the day or night and get it back within 24 hours. A lot of times sooner. That's right. A lot of times I happen to be sitting at the computer, and it's going to be much sooner. But more yeah, After about 9 o'clock, it's going to oh, be the next morning. I, I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> you might hit me at 5 in the morning and get me, but you're not going to get me after 9 o'clock. I'll assure you that. <laughs> talking just a second ago about the gentleman he says compressor was cycling uh-huh. and what happens the the absolute best way to fix that is what he's doing get some information and right. take it someone knows what to do and let them look at that the absolute worst way to deal with that and we had a good example of that come in earlier this week okay. and 
what happened is the AC just quit cooling on the gentleman's vehicle. And so he and his neighbor got together with one of his little charging thing. They right. dumped some more refrigerant in it. Didn't cool any better, but he didn't think too much about it. Well, about a month later, now it doesn't cool at all. Okay. So he brings it in, and what we found was that the fan clutch on the engine was bad. That was the original problem. All right. When the fan clutch goes bad, it quits moving as much air through the condenser. Now, it moves enough through the radiator to keep the truck cool, but it doesn't move it through that condenser. Right. Now, when you don't move enough air through the condenser, the high side pressure goes sky high. I mean, it jumps up to about 400 PSI. Right. And when that happens, it starts to damage the compressor. Now, this is the bad part. That system only holds 1.2 pounds. That's a full charge. You dump another 12 ounces in, now it's 50% overcharged, and it already had a problem with too much pressure. Uh-huh. So what happened is the pressure goes now sky high, probably close to 600 pounds. The compressor absolutely exploded. Right. I mean, it blew the front drive plate off of the compressor. Wow. And slung metal throughout the entire system well now we're into a compressor a condenser an expansion valve a filter dryer an orifice flushing the entire system and possibly an evaporator core right so what we did is we took a about a 250 dollars job and we turned it into a 2500 hundred dollar job just that quick just that quick and that sort of thing happens a lot. As we start to get into the hotter months, we start to see more and more and more of this. Oh, we're definitely going to see more of it. But those little charge kits are probably the absolute worst thing that you could possibly do to it because, number one, you don't have a way to see what the problem actually is. Right. You have no way to verify how much refrigerant is in the system. Already. So even with a professional set of gauges, you cannot tell how much charge a system has. A modern system cannot be checked that way. Right. To verify the charge, what we have to do is draw the charge out and weigh it. And that way we know how much is in there. Exactly. Then we compare it to the specifications. Then we know how low or how overfull it is. Then we put the correct amount back in. That is the only way to charge the system. There is a label on every air conditioning system that tells you how much charge it holds. That's right. So you can compare that to how much you would you take out and verify if you're low or if you're not low or what else is going on. And you can actually get misled by that because some of the systems today are so small that the least little thing will drastically influence them. For instance, some of your systems may only hold 12 ounces of refrigerant with a full charge, some of your little Hondas and Toyotas. Right. Now, you only got 12 ounces in there. Let's say somebody went in and dumped some extra oil in the system for whatever reason. They put another two ounces of oil. Well, okay. now the system can only hold 10 ounces of refrigerant because it's already got two ounces of oil. Right. So that's a sizable difference. And if you put 12 ounces in that system, it's going to be overcharged. Now, there's no way to check the amount of oil in the system without taking every component out, emptying it out, and measuring the oil. So that's why it is so 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 important not to let just anybody go in and start tampering with an air conditioner because there's lots and lots of guys out there who say they do air conditioning work who maybe just don't think it through quite as far as they should right for instance if you replace a compressor the old compressor the all may be in the compressor it may be in the evaporator it may be in the condenser it may be anywhere but when you get another compressor it's gonna be full of all that's sure. a full charge of all sure if you've already got a full charge of oil, let's say the orifice tube was slightly restricted, so the oil's all in the condenser or all in the evaporator core, you'd put this compressor on. Now when you charge it with the proper amount, it's actually way overcharged. Right. You actually have to take the old compressor off, empty the oil that's in it, right. measure it, then empty the new compressor, right. 
and take that amount of oil that you took out of the old one, put back in the new one to right. put back on the new system. That is correct, because if you put just what a full charge is, it, and oil is already circulating somewhere else, exactly. now it's overcharged. And when you put the right amount of refrigerant, you You're will be way overcharged. Over. So right. you just plant the seeds for the next failure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to iTunes and Stitcher and give us a written rating. Yeah, I really appreciate when you do that. It moves us up in the ranking so that we can get more people listening and also makes our day. So we really thank you for that in advance. Go to iTunes or Stitcher and give us a written rating. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.